morning, Grace Church. I have to start by asking you a question this morning. Are you all ready to hear from the Lord this morning? Like seriously, I don't know why else you would be here if you weren't coming expecting God to speak to you this morning. I am trusting that God is going to speak to you through His Word because that's what He does. He's a God that interacts. He's a God that listens. He's a God that speaks. And He's going to speak to you this morning. So I want to encourage you to brace yourselves and to be ready for what God has to deliver to you this morning. And I want to welcome you to Grace Church this morning. My name is Justin Ross, lead pastor here at Grace Church. And we are in part two of this series called Windward. And before we dive in, I kind of want to just remind us of where we've been with our sermon series through most of this year. And uh, if you can remember back a few months ago, we had a, a series called The Ideal Family. And we talked about how there is no ideal family how every family actually falls short of the ideal, but Jesus is the ideal, and that's what we're striving to be like, is to be like Jesus Christ. And the only way to have a marriage that works, the only way to have children that are following after Jesus Christ, the only way to have a family that functions properly the way God intended it is to set your course on Jesus Christ. We also had a series called Strapped where we were encouraging you to dream about every family, every individual in Grace Church being debt-free. Man, could you imagine every single one of us carrying no debt, where we were freed up financially and we didn't feel strapped? That was an encouraging uh, message series for all of us. And then we just came out of a series uh, in the letter of Colossians, where we were learning through the Apostle Paul, through Timothy, they were writing this letter from prison, They weren't in prison because they killed anybody. They were in prison because they were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. But they were teaching us about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is enough. Jesus is all you need. It's not Jesus plus something. It's, It's actually Jesus plus nothing. He is enough. He is sufficient. He is supreme. And this morning, as we continue this series called Windward, I want to start by defining the word windward. Windward means the direction in which the wind is currently blowing. The direction in which the wind is currently blowing. It's an important sailing term because you have to set your sails to the wind. And you know, throughout this series, you're going to be encouraged through God's Word to listen to the wind, to listen to the voice, to listen to the Spirit of God. And you're going to be encouraged to go windward, to go where the Holy Spirit of God is is leading you to go. You're going to be encouraged to speak what the Spirit of God is leading you to speak. You're going to be encouraged to push away from the shore and to go out into the deep to go windward, to go where God is leading you to go. Last week I shared the vision of Grace Church. We saw it this morning already while we were singing. But it's imperfect people. Okay, that's, that's you and I, by the way. And if you're in here this morning and you're perfect, you, you actually weren't allowed to, you weren't supposed to be allowed in, okay? Because it's just imperfect people that should be here this morning. That's all of us. Imperfect people leveraging everything for those far from Jesus. And what we're going to do is, using the story of Nehemiah in the Scriptures, we're going to unpack that vision statement. And today we're focusing on the phrase, imperfect people. So let me catch us up to speed here this morning on, on kind of where we're at in this series, Windward. The walls of Jerusalem had been broken down for over 140 years. 140 years, the city of Jerusalem was in ruins. The people in and around Jerusalem, they got so used to the brokenness that it, 
it didn't bother them anymore. It didn't disturb them that there was brokenness all around them. And when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, they destroyed the walls, they burned down the gates, which allowed the enemies to go right into the city to destroy the city. So Nehemiah, he hears about this brokenness, he hears about his hometown being destroyed, and immediately he goes to prayer. The Scriptures actually teach us that he fasted and he prayed. He was moved by the brokenness. He begins to have a heart of Jesus. He begins to have a heart for his city. And God begins to move on the heart of Nehemiah. And it gets to the point where he cannot take the brokenness any longer. He he can't put up with it. He has to do something about it. So Nehemiah springs to action after a prolonged season of prayer. Now let me just remind you that, that the book of Nehemiah, it's in your Old Testament of the Scriptures. It's basically Nehemiah's journal, okay? So he was just writing about his experiences. So throughout the next couple of weeks, we're going to get a really uh, in-depth look at Nehemiah's heart. We're actually going to read about what he was feeling and what he was experiencing. We're actually going to read some of his intimate prayers that he was praying to God during this experience that he had trying to rebuild the brokenness around him. So we get to look deep into his heart. You also need to know that this book called Nehemiah, it was written over 2,500 years ago. It's a very ancient, very old book. But what's so incredible, what's so awesome about the Word of God is that this ancient, old book still applies to us today. It still affects us today. What you're hearing today is going to affect your Monday. It applies to us, even though it's so old and so ancient. Nehemiah is going to teach us how to serve. He's going to teach us how to work together to rebuild the brokenness around us. In chapter 1, we were told that Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer is is someone that took care of the the winery for the king. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, and usually a slave held the position of cupbearer. And so, the cupbearer's job was to, uh, to run the winery for the king, and this was a very dangerous job because Nehemiah had to take a drink of the wine before King Artaxerxes took a drink of the wine. And if someone was trying to assassinate the king, basically Nehemiah would kill over dead, and the king would say, hey, I don't want to drink that wine, okay? Uh, somebody get me another glass, and while you're at it, get me a new cupbearer. So he had to take a drink of the wine before the king did to make sure there was no poison in it. Many times the cupbearer would broker deals for the best wine. And, and who better to do this job? Because if the cupbearer knew that he was going to have to drink it first, he's most likely going to find wine that doesn't have any poison in it. Okay, So this is his job. He's a slave. He's the low man on the totem pole. Nehemiah, the cupbearer. Nehemiah, the slave. You see, God uses imperfect people. He uses people who are willing to serve, who are willing to go windward. That's how our God works. He uses people who are willing to step out there, willing to go in faith, willing to push away from the shore, to push away from what's normal. This is how God has worked all throughout this book called the Scriptures, the Holy Bible. You see, Jesus, He loved to call the outcasts. 
He went after people who were told that God wanted nothing to do with them. He called people whose religious report card was not very good. They probably weren't even passing on their religious report card. He had very normal people following him, teenagers and old people and sick people. And he was teaching them to walk by faith, to believe that despite all of their shortcomings, despite all of their imperfections, that God was going to use them to do incredible things for his kingdom, for his church. You see, I want, I want to remind us this morning that God is going to use us. God is going to use you to do incredible things in this community, to build His kingdom. If we step out in faith, if we're willing to listen to the Spirit of God, if we're willing to go windward, here we see God at it again. God is moving on the heart of a slave. He's moving on the heart of Nehemiah. Let's pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 2, in verse 1. Once again, it's in your Old Testament. If you don't have your Bible this morning, that's okay. We're going to have the verses up on the screen. But if you do have your Bibles, turn there. It's good practice for you. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Okay, Nehemiah, he has been praying, he's been fasting, he's serving the king. He's, he's starting to notice that God is doing something in his heart. God is awakening uh, something within him that he hasn't felt before. And his heart is beginning to move and be burdened because his hometown is in ruins. But what Nehemiah does, he, he doesn't know exactly what God wants him to do, do yet, but, so he keeps serving, he keeps praying. And this is a good lesson, I think, for some of us here this morning because some of you need to persevere in your faith. Maybe things are hard right now. Maybe things are trying. Maybe, maybe you've been praying and asking God for something and it, and it seems like God isn't listening. It seems like God isn't answering your prayers. It seems like He hasn't heard your, requ- your request. But you need to persevere because I am here to tell you this morning that you can trust God. His timing is perfect. I always want it to be now. I want it to be faster than it should be. But God's timing is perfect. And sometimes what seems slow to us is perfect to Him. So trust Him. Persevere. Don't lose hope. Keep in the fight. Nehemiah keeps serving. He was praying. He's fasting. And then he goes before the king. And the king notices that Nehemiah is not happy. And You know, when you go before the king, you're just supposed to be happy. Even if you're, you're not happy, you just fake it You know, when you go before the king. But this time, Nehemiah can't fake it anymore. And you know, this has happened with some of you. Sometimes when you walk into church and it's like, Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Yeah, we got this smile. And sometimes you can fake it. But there have been times where many of you have walked in. Man, your heart is heavy. Your heart is burdened. There's things weighing on you. Hey, how are you? I'm not good. Hey, my marriage is struggling. Or my kids are just going wayward. And I'm not doing well. 
There's times where you just can't fake it anymore, right? This was Nehemiah. He, he is before the king. King Artaxerxes, a king, if you're grumpy in his presence, he can have you put to death. And he still can't fake it. Because his heart is so broken, his heart is so moved for his hometown. Look at verse 2. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Nehemiah, you're not sick. So what's the problem, man? Why are you so sad? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And then Nehemiah, writing in his journal, he says, I was very much afraid. Remember, Nehemiah is broken because his city is broken. Walls need to be rebuilt. Gates need to be installed. The Word of God needs to to be taught. The church needs to be woken up. People need to be saved. Marriages need to be restored. People need to know that they have purpose and they have meaning and that God values them. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And Nehemiah is feeling the call of God on his life to go and to accomplish that work. And Nehemiah, you you can be assured that he has spent a lot of sleepless nights praying and thinking about Jerusalem. And then he goes on to say, I was very much afraid. I was afraid. Listen, leadership can be a very fearful thing. Going windward can be a very fearful thing. Going after those who are far from Jesus can be a very fearful thing. Because when you push away from the comforts and the safety of the shore, and you go out into the deep towards Hurricane Florence, it can be fearful. You don't know what's out there in the deep. There's some big fish out there, you know? There's some scary things in the ocean. It can be a fearful thing when you push away from your comforts and from the safety of the shore. You see, the false image of a leader is someone who is always courageous and always fearless, always bold. And many times, it's just the opposite. It's actually someone who's very fearful and someone who's just stepping out in faith and trusting God for every single step. You see, any good seasoned leader, a leader of a family, a leader of a business, a leader in the church, a leader in government, whatever it may be, a good leader, maybe a leader of, you know, raising up children, a good leader that's trying to follow God windward, good leaders who are trying to step out in faith, they experience this kind of fear. They have these kind of doubts sometimes. They struggle sometimes. But man, is this this what God wants? This is kind of scary I don't know if I'm going the right way. But there's a word here in verse 2 that it's incredibly powerful. Nehemiah is in front of the king. The king notices that he's really down. He's, he's, he, <clears throat> he's disturbed. And the king asks him, what's going on? And Nehemiah is very fearful because he's about to do some things that require some incredible faith. So he's fearful, but in verse 2, The incredible word is the word but. B-U-T. Nehemiah was terrified, but he moved forward in faith. 
He did what God was leading him to do in spite of what he was feeling, in spite of that fear. You see, fears can can be so powerful. Feelings can be so powerful, but feelings are not facts. You need to trust God. You need to move windward in spite of what you feel at times. Nehemiah was fearful because he was going to be very bold with King Artaxerxes. And this was going to be a life or death situation. If the king doesn't like the way Nehemiah is talking with him, he could say, off with your head. And Nehemiah's head would have rolled. Nehemiah said, I was terrified, but I said to the king. I was afraid, but I stepped out anyways. I said to the king, and he's going to express some requests. He's going to ask the king of some things. And before I get there, I just want to ask you, church, what are you afraid to do? Like, what, what do you know? You know deep in your gut, you know in your spirit that God is leading you to do something, but you're afraid. Maybe you're terrified to have that conversation with your spouse that you know is going to make your marriage stronger and better, but you're just afraid of how your spouse might respond. Maybe you're terrified to teach. You know, man, you have something to give, something to teach, but, man, you're just afraid to. Maybe you're terrified to to witness to your father, to tell your father or your mother about your faith in Jesus Christ. You know God is leading you to do this, but you're just afraid. Maybe God is leading you to, to start a business. And you're like, man, I know I should do this, but man, what if it doesn't work? And what if, and what if, and what if? What are you afraid to do that you know God is leading you to do? You may be fearful because maybe this is the first time that you've sat in church in a long time. You're like, man, I'm kind of fearful because there's this bald dude kind of yelling, you know, like, what's this all about? Maybe that's why you're afraid. But I just want to encourage you, man, whatever the Holy Spirit of God is leading you to do, you need to do it. I was terrified, said Nehemiah, but I said to the king. I was afraid, but I said to the king. Step out in faith, church. Go windward. Go where God is leading you to go. And and listen, you will not regret it. You won't regret it. Nehemiah goes on to say in verse 3, But I said to the king, Okay, this is a great way to start. May the king live forever. All right? This is a great, if you're going to ask the king some things, this is a great way to start. I would, if you're going to ask your boss for a raise, okay, I suggest this. Like, may the boss live forever. Hey, can I have a raise, you know? So he starts with just building up the king. And uh, he says, may the king live forever. And then he says, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? King, listen, I am totally bummed out because my hometown is completely destroyed. Nehemiah is burdened for his hometown. He wants to see the brokenness restored. Let's let's take this to present day, okay? We're we're reading a letter, or a journal rather, that's 2,500 years old. And so let's bring it to our day, and let's talk about our community for just a brief moment. I was born and raised here in Durango, Colorado, and and I have a huge burden, huge passion for this crazy little community. I mean, this little town is like a melting pot. There's so many different uh, 
types of people, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and I love it. It's just, it's a small community, but it is a melting pot, so diverse. And talk about an area that needs Jesus. Durango is the place, okay? This place needs Jesus. I mean, what a, what a crazy little town this is. It has all kinds of different beliefs, all kinds of different worldviews. This town is full of religion, but it's void of Jesus Christ. Full of religion. This town is filled with people worshiping nature. People worshiping crystals. There are adrenaline junkies everywhere. Man, they're just kind of living for that next high. There's people uh, that worship pleasure. There's people... Man, they, they worship, you know, anything and everything but God. I had a buddy in high school that said he worshiped the beer God, okay? That's who he worshiped. And his God has actually been really rough to him over the years. It really has. Name a religion, and it's probably here. You see, God is calling Nehemiah back to a city that needs a lot of work. And I believe Durango needs a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of money and a lot of risk to rebuild the walls of, the, of Jerusalem. And it's no different here in Durango. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be challenging to walk towards this vision of leveraging everything for those who are far from Jesus. It's going to be challenging to carry out the mission of making disciples. It's not going to be easy, church. But it's worth it. And not only is it worth it, it needs to be done. It needs to be done. Otherwise, we just continue to live with the brokenness around us, and it's just the way it is, baby. It's just the way it is. And we accept brokenness. We accept people just taking their lives because they don't have any purpose to live. It's just the way it is. We just accept broken marriages everywhere because that's just the way it is. We accept just brokenness because it's all we know. So Nehemiah tells the king why he's down and the king responds to Nehemiah. Look at verse 4. He says, The king said to me, What is it you want? So the king doesn't behead Nehemiah. Instead, he opens the door for Nehemiah to, to express his desires. And verse 4 goes on to say, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Like the king just said, what do you want, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah responded this way. See, I believe Nehemiah was praying subconsciously. The king just said, what do you want, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, pause God, help me here with some courage. Give me the strength. Help me to know what to say. He's saying this in his mind. He's praying this. And before he steps out in faith and asks some incredibly big things of the king, Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven. Friends, you have to remember that you can pray at any time, anywhere. Okay, Some people say you have to be pointing in a certain direction or you have to be in a certain posture or you have to say certain things or you have to hold your hands a certain way, but that's not true. You can pray to God 
anywhere, anytime. Because God is your Father, and He wants to hear from you. You can pray to Him in your car. You can pray to Him in your bed. You can pray to Him while you're talking to your boss on your job site. You can pray to Him at 32,000 feet on an airplane, like wherever, whenever. You can pray to the God of heaven. You can pray to Him. So Nehemiah prays to God and the king asked him, what do you want? He prays and he says this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 5-6. through six. He says, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Okay, let me let me just set this in perspective for us. It's like, man, it doesn't seem like he hasn't, you know, he hasn't asked anything really big yet, but let me help us to remember something. In Ezra chapter four, another book in the Bible, we're actually told, Ezra chapter four, verses seven through twenty-three, that some Jews were trying to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And King Artaxerxes, this same dude, okay, this same guy, put a stop to it by force. And here comes Nehemiah, a slave, and he's trying to change a king's foreign policy. Okay, it would be like the press secretary getting up in front of the nation and saying, um, you know, the White House is actually changing its foreign policy in the Middle East because there was a janitor in the West Wing that uh, really had a good idea. So we're not going to go with the president's ideas anymore. We're going to go with this janitor's idea, and we're going to change the foreign policy in the Middle East. Like, no wonder Nehemiah was greatly afraid, because his requests to the king are crazy. It's going to be asking him to do something completely different than the direction King Artaxerxes has gone in the past. And it doesn't stop there. Listen to this. He keeps asking some things. Verses 7 and 8. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates, so they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy so Nehemiah goes before the king and he says, King Artaxerxes, I'm, I'm asking for 10 years off of work. And I'm asking that you give me some secret service agents to, uh, you know, to escort me to Judah so that I can have safe travels. And, and if you wouldn't mind while you're at it, could you just lend me your personal jet you know, to get me there? I'd, I'd like to fly there on your personal jet. And I'm asking you to fund the project of rebuilding Jerusalem. So I, I want you to pay for it. And also, while you're at it, could you write some letters for me so that everyone knows the king is behind this. The king has given me permission. It's crazy. He went for it. But here is the most important part of what we read this morning. Okay, whatever you're facing, God is leading you to step out in faith, to go windward. Nehemiah stepped out and he says, And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. 
It wasn't because Nehemiah was so well-spoken. It wasn't because Nehemiah was so cool. He just swayed the king's opinion. The reason that Nehemiah got everything he asked for was because the gracious hand of God was on Nehemiah. I don't know about you, but I want the gracious hand of God to be on your marriages. I want the gracious hand of God to be on your children. I want the gracious hand of God to be upon this church. The gracious hand of God was upon Nehemiah. Like God performed a miracle. This is a miracle. Nehemiah knows the only way this is going to work is for God to perform a miracle, for God to come through. And honestly, I believe that our faith should be big enough that a miracle has to be performed for the vision to become a reality. Our faith should be that dynamic, should be that incredible. Our, the vision of Grace Church should be big enough that people say, that's crazy. That's crazy. You see, God used a slave to change a nation's foreign policy, and God performs miracles still today. He wants to use people like you and like me. The problem is, is we've become so used to broken down walls. It's just what we expect. It's just the way it is. Listen, I know there may be some wives here this morning who think, there's just no way. There's just no way that my husband is ever going to give his life to Jesus. There's just no way that my husband's ever going to live for Jesus. There might be some people here that's like, man, my like you don't know my son, Justin. Like he is going so hard and fast the wrong direction. Like he is just running from God so hard. I just don't see how it's possible how he could ever turn back to him. I just I just don't know, Justin. Don't forget about God. Don't forget about the God of heaven. He can take a man's heart and just move it however he wants to move it. He can take the heart of a wayward child and pull it back to himself. Wherever you're at, whatever you're facing, whatever fears, whatever the enemy is speaking, those lies, don't forget about God. You're like, man, you just don't know my situation. You don't know what's going on in my life. I just don't see. It's just so dark, Justin. It just seems like the mountain's too big. Nothing is too big for our God. Nothing is too hard for our God. I mentioned last week that I wanted you to see and to, to hear real life examples. I want you to see it. I want you to hear it. I want you to say, man, it is possible. I know this can happen. This morning, I want you to hear the story of Dr. Vin Chung. He's actually a brother in Christ. He actually lives in Colorado Springs. And he has an incredible story to share with us. He was a Vietnamese refugee who has an incredible story to share of God's grace in his life. So check out Dr. Vin Chung's story right now. I was three and a half years old. 
When my family left Vietnam, after the war, we lost everything. The only way for the South Vietnamese people to leave the country was to pack themselves in these little fishing boats and sail out to sea. The estimate is that one out of two people who flee Vietnam as refugees, as boat people, died at sea. We were attacked by pirates. Fortunately, we survived that attack, but our boat had no engine, no fuel, no water, no food, and we just drifted out there. We all suffered. Some people died. The women on board the boat started talking about maybe drowning their children to end the suffering. This was a time when C-Sweep found us. How long have they been drifting? Ten days. Ten days. They've been drifting ten days? Yes, sir. They were out to uh, provide assistance to refugees, but they were not authorized to pick us up on their boat. But after seeing our desperate state, Sam Mooneyham and the captain of the ship decided that they cannot just look the other way. I know what decision you're going to make. You can make the same one I'd make. Okay. But I'm going to let you make it because you'll have to make all the others. All right. Take them aboard. Go! You know, when I think about where I am today, I've been happily married to my high school sweetheart, Liesl. We've been married for almost 20 years now. We have four children. I went to Harvard College and Harvard Medical School. I'm a dermatologist who specializes in skin cancer surgery. It really is just mind-blowing because statistically, I shouldn't be alive. I could pinpoint it down to that first action of just unconditional love. And it was because of that that eventually my mother came to accept Jesus Christ as, as her Lord and Savior. And all 11 of my parents' children have done so as well, as well as their 25-plus grandchildren. For the rest of my life and all of my major decisions, I have to remind myself any major decisions that I make could potentially lead to saving someone's life. I realize that to live a life of comfort is not enough. I feel that we have to do more. We first started by writing a check to sponsor um, a, a project in Cambodia, and we eventually uh, were invited to go visit the project that we're sponsoring in Cambodia, which was to help vulnerable children being trafficked. I had read about it, I knew the statistics, but when you encounter them for the first time, it was where I was personally humbled. We were broken, but it was in our brokenness that we fell in love. You know, and, and I can imagine that that was probably what Stan Munahem felt when he saw my family in the boat out in the middle of the sea. So when we came back from Cambodia, we just felt that we had to do more. At this point, it was just me. I was the only doctor in a little medical practice. We decided to grow uh, so that our impact could be magnified. 
Lisa has a background in business. I have a background in dermatology, and we've been able to serve the vulnerable through using our skill sets. Through our practice, we're funding a project in Cambodia to help vulnerable children. We're also investing in economic development in Rwanda. We launched Clara Medispa, which is the cosmetic arm of a medical practice, and all of the proceeds benefit women and children overseas. We've added more offices so that we can serve the poor here, locally. One of the core values that we have is impact, and all of our staff members here know that. We talk about how we want to make an impact on our patients, on our community, and the world at large. And so it's exciting because we know that the community will be better off, and we hope that the world will be better off because of the growth of our practice. Two thousand years ago, there were tax collectors and fishermen who did wonderful things to help the poor. And I believe that we could do it today as a dermatologist, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as a teacher, anywhere you are. Don't wait. Take that first step. And once you can experience it, it gives you purpose to everything that you do. It gives you purpose to your work. That's the joy of taking that step. Truly believe the the greatest miracle, the greatest thing we can see is a changed life. And that's why this vision of Grace Church it fires me up so much because God uses imperfect people. He he uses slaves. He uses refugees to do His greatest work, to do incredible things. Nehemiah. Was a very humble man, and he's simply writing in his journal, and he's saying, "I was completely terrified. I I prayed every chance that I could, and God came through. God answered my prayers, and God performed a miracle. So the king gave、uh, basically everything that Nehemiah asked. And next week we're gonna we're gonna see how Nehemiah leverages everything to go and to restore the brokenness." In his hometown, and I want to close this morning by reminding us about the task before us. You see, we're not just supposed to gather every Sunday and go home unchanged. We are called to take this gospel, this incredible news of Jesus, to those who are lost, to those who are far from Jesus. And Durango needs Jesus. Bayfield needs Jesus. Cortez and Silverton and Mancus and Ignacio and Farmington. And Pagosa, like this region, needs Jesus. But in order for people to meet Jesus, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's not going to happen overnight, but it is going to happen when we, the people of God, we take what God has given us—our gifts, our talents, our creativity—and we use it not just to make a good living, not to just. Retire when we're older, but we take what God has given us and we put it on mission, and we use it, we leverage it for His glory and for His goodness and for those who are far from Christ. I want to read Matthew chapter nine, verses ten through thirteen. And before I read it, I just want to ask a question: Like, why would God create a church that only included the perfect? Or the nearly perfect. Why would he create a gospel only meant for those who didn't need it? I don't believe he did. Listen to Matthew nine, 
verses 10 through 13. This was written by Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he says, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples into his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors. Okay, these were the despised people of that day. Many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, for I have come to call those who th- who, uh, to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. You're here this morning and you're saying, man, I just feel so inadequate. I don't know if I really belong, Justin, to be honest with you. I feel unworthy. I feel like an outsider. I don't feel like I'm good enough. You know, to be honest, I guess I would say I feel imperfect. You're actually a prime target for God to use to do His greatest work. As a matter of fact, imperfect people are the perfect people for God to use to build His kingdom. Let me close in prayer this morning. Father, we know that the whole point of the book of Nehemiah is to make Your name great. And I pray that we too would make Your name great. I pray that through Grace Church, You would receive much glory. I ask that You would use us to help other churches get better and stronger and healthier. I pray that You would use us to to restore the brokenness in this community. Lord, I pray that You would rebuild this area spiritually. Lord, help us to have a good plan and help us to put our minds to the work and to get the job done. Lord Jesus, I'm so glad that you're alive and well. The tomb is empty. Jesus, you are over everything. We praise you and we thank you for paying the price on the cross so that we could be saved from sin. And Lord, I pray that you would provide everything we need to reach this area with the gospel. I pray that you would equip the people of Grace Church to do the work I pray that this area would be known, this region, these communities, would not be known as a vacation spot or it's just a cool place to ride the train or to, you know, to go skiing. I pray that this place would be known for its love for God and it's for its service to God. I pray that we would be known for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.